We come to you in Jesus' name, believing that he indeed is worthy. And at the same time amazed that he is willing to call us join heirs with him. Lord, we thank you for what he did on the cross. We thank you for those that you have called to yourself and are calling in this present age to yourself. We thank you for all that is coming to pass, knowing that it is not just happening, but it is happening at the sovereign direction of Almighty God. We ask that you would help us not to fear, but as Jesus instructs us to, in fact, be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would guide our thinking now in a way that we're not quite able to understand. We don't pretend to know how the Holy Spirit works or what exactly the Holy Spirit does but we know that those who come to you humbly and ask for you to pour out your Holy Spirit among us, that you will do just that. And that he has pledged to be our teacher. And so we come to you in Jesus' name, asking that you would teach us for your glory, for our good, and to equip us to be lights in an ever-darkening world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start off with, turn to Revelation chapter 5. And there I'm going to read the entire chapter. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the four, or the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy 
to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and nation, or tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, num numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that in them is, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, Jesus has the scroll. The scroll represents the final decrees of God that he's going to bring to pass throughout the remaining time of the church age. Here's how it proceeds. Follow me into chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. And here we have the four, what are sometimes referred to as the four, horse, uh, the four horses or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You have a white horse. You have a pale horse. You have a dark horse. You have a mottled horse. And what is happening here is various degrees of plague and famine and injustice being brought to bear upon the people, not of God, the people of the earth who have rejected God. Verse 5. When the lamb opened, excuse me, when the, verse 3, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, and there was a second horse, which was a fiery red one, the third seal, a black horse, the fourth seal, a pale horse. And what he's saying here in each of these, you have. Uh, the first representing warfare. The second taking, li listen to what it says. Uh, verse 4, its rider on the second horse was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. That's what's happening. Who's bringing that to pass? Who's opening the scroll, folks? Jesus is opening the scroll. Who's allowing these things to come to pass? Jesus is bringing them to pass. Why on earth is he doing it? He's doing it because he has been rejected by the masses of mankind. 
the third seal. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Again, figurative language is being used. When you see things like hyperinflation in the news, what do you think is going to come to pass? You know, we're not in this, I, 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 I deal with, with the stock market. So I'm constantly reading different financial news. And when I see stupid people saying stupid things like, here we are, it's like a new roaring 20s, I think it's insanity. Part of the only reason that the stock market is going up and up and up is because the bankers have so much extra money to play with and they're buying and selling stocks at a rapid rate but everything is going to come to a grinding halt and it's not just going to be the stock market that's going to crash it's going to be the real estate market that crashes it's going to be the commodities market that crashes that may not affect you because you don't you don't you don't drive a car okay you're not buying health insurance. You're, you're not going to the grocery store like some of us are. But we're seeing it in remarkable ways. In remarkable ways. Then the fourth, verse 8, I looked and there was a, a pale horse. The rider was named Death and Hades. He was given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. Do you understand the significance of those that particular phrase? They were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. In the Old Testament, if you were an Old Testament prophet and you wanted to make a point about the incredible anger and wrath of God, you referred to what are, were sometimes called the four judgments of God. Sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts. It's an Old Testament reference. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? We need to understand that. Again, we have a hard time wrapping our head around that because we're not living in a country where people are being martyred for their faith. We may have no clue what's about to take place in Afghanistan. But mark my words, we already have a bit of a clue because last week there were reports that Christians we're literally running for the mountains to escape the Taliban.
I started off by saying one of the most beautiful places that Ann and I have ever been to, and we like to travel. And when we travel, you know, we, we make a point to really enjoy ourselves and enjoy the creation that God has made. We were in awe, and that would be probably the only appropriate word. We were in awe in the Canadian Rockies. British Columbia and Alberta, Canada, two of the western provinces of Canada. Folks, in the last two months, over 50 churches, Christian churches, have been burned by people who are against Christianity. In Canada, we're not talking about China, we're not talking about Russia, we're not talking about Iran and Iraq, we're talking about our northern neighbor, Canada. Which up until 20 years ago, you could go into Canada without a passport. Now you need a passport. Before that, you just cross the border. Yeah, this is where we're staying. Going to be here for a few days. You know, I'll check with customs on the way out. Friendly relationship. I don't know that I'd be interested in, you know, going across the border and identifying myself as Pastor and Mrs. Rudolph. I don't see Canada as friendly space anymore. At all. But the fifth seal, when the fifth seal is open, you have this outcry of those who are martyred appealing to God himself. Lord, how long will you put up with us with this before you avenge our blood? Now, relatively speaking, in God's time, short period of time, it's coming. Each of them, verse 11, was given a white robe. And listen to what it says. They were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. We're not there yet. Again, we're living in what? We're living in the church age. When is Jesus coming back? Jesus is coming back when all of those that have been given to him by the Father are gathered to him in forming the church. That's the whole argument that the Apostle Peter gives in 2 Peter chapter 3. When's it coming? It's coming when, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance who are the all? The all are the believers that will come to faith in Christ. It's not everybody coming to faith in Christ because everybody, folks, don't come to faith in Christ. How do I know that? Let me ask one question and you'll get the point. If that verse means to you that God is not willing that any should perish but that everybody should come to repentance, what about the people in your life that have already died without Christ? Where are they? They're not in heaven. They're not with Jesus.
that verse is not talking about everybody. It's talking about believers or those who will become believers. Look at the context closely and you'll understand that's no different than what's happening here in Revelation chapter 6. Lord, how long? How long do we have to wait? You have to wait until fellow servants and believers are to be killed and that number is completed. That's how long you have to wait. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned red, blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree were shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. What's he saying there? He's using figurative language that among the other things that God is going to do as a demonstration of his great anger and wrath is what we see happening right now. I don't think a week goes by that we're not hearing about earthquakes and volcanoes and hurricanes and torrential storms that what we might have considered at another time in our lives as normal is going to be ratcheted up in amazing ways. When we lived up in Bloomsburg, we were often amazed. It was an area because where Bloomsburg sits, it's between mountains, and you can see the weather in a, in a rather interesting kind of way. I mean, you can watch the clouds come in, and it, 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 just interesting for us. Terrific storms. So what happens? We move down here. The worst storms of my lifetime have been since we moved down here. Now, I don't pretend that, you know, God is following the Rudolphs and sending storms their way. But he is the one bringing them to pass. Read some of the news reports of what was going to be happening in Louisiana today, if you haven't already. They were talking like not inches, they were talking feet, 10, 12, 15 feet of rain. A storm surge that had the potential to just level everything in its path. Winds, 150 to 155 miles an hour. That's enough to just completely take a house right off its foundation. I can't imagine what we're going to see in the days ahead. But that's just one thing. I think right now there's two or three volcanoes that pretty much had not been active. One is Kilauea out in Hawaii. One is in Italy. Earthquakes all over the place. Again, don't just think these are happening. See, you turn on the news, the news is going to say, this is all because of global warming. We've got to do something about global warming. 
No, it's not because of global warming. It's because God is angry with the wicked every day. And God is going to bring these things to pass. But church, take heart because I've overcome the world. But I say all of this to make this point. When we read through the book of Revelation, we see first the seals, then the trumpets, then the bowls, these successive moments throughout the church age where God is pouring out his wrath in various ways. And it's easy to look at those things in amazement and miss the point. You know, when we see an earthquake hit Haiti, and the news report says 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people, 1,000, 2,000 buildings leveled. And we look at that and we see the news report of Hurricane Ida and just be amazed and people dying. We see a situation, people trying to get out of a country because they know that come August 31st, the Taliban is going to rule with an iron hand in Afghanistan, and they're fleeing for their lives. And all they would have to do, if they're Christians, is renounce their faith. And they're not going to renounce their faith. But what's going to happen? you're going to have people slaughtered. You're going to probably hear of news reports of people being beheaded. You're probably going to hear news reports of women and children being taken captive and raped and murdered. Folks, don't put your head in the sand. Because these things are all there before our eyes as a warning. During the time that Jesus walked on the earth, there were times that people would come up to him with various tidbits of, we might say it this way, what's in the news? One of those incidences is recorded in the book of Luke. It was about a tower. Not a big thing. Probably wouldn't have been a big news event. Might have been, depending on, you know, if they would have had the internet, but they didn't. So it was a tower. And the tower fell down. And 18 people died. And you can just imagine, I can just imagine, use your imagination with me for a moment. One of the idiot talking heads comes up to Jesus with a microphone. Jesus, what do you make of this? Tower falls on people. Probably didn't build the tower up to building code. Is there anything you'd like to say, Jesus? What does Jesus say? You remember? He says this, 
unless you repent. God's, he, he doesn't say it in so many words. He says, if, unless you repent, the same thing is going to befall you. His point is, unless you repent, God's judgment is going to come on you and fall on you like this tower did on these 18 people. How many of you have ever known a loved one who's died? How many of you have known more than five loved ones who have died? I mentioned this before. It's worth mentioning again. Birthdays are good things as you get older because it gives you an opportunity, if you're wise enough, to really reflect for a moment at least. How many more of these do I have? Now, fortunately, I'm married to a woman who in some respects is wiser than me. Because I used to fret after I lost my brother that you know there were certain birthdays that I simply was not going to make. Until Ann one day said, did you, the thought ever just cross your mind that you're going to have as many birthdays as God wants to give you? And I needed to hear that because I was fixated on certain ages because of a father that died and a brother that died, both before age 65. And statistically, I know what that means. Statistically, what that means is the odds are ratcheted way up for me that I'm not going to make 65 either. And she had to remind me that you will have as many birthdays as God chooses to give you. And at some point, God took that and planted it in my heart. And I don't fret about it anymore. But before that, truly, I fretted about it. There was probably a week that did not go by after I lost my brother at age 57 that I thought about him dying at age 57 of prostate cancer. I thought about that every week until I hit 57. Now, what's the point of saying that? In my case, it was that. I don't know what it is for you. But some of you are either thinking about that and maybe thinking about it in a non-biblical way, or you're not thinking about it at all and you figure you got the next 5, 10, 20 years. But here's where the difference may be. If God takes me out today, I'm ready to go. Are you? Are you? That's really the number one, and we might say the number two through ten or through a hundred important questions of your life. Have that question settled. Are you ready to go at a moment's notice? Either are or you're not. And if you're thinking, ah, it's not going to happen today, I don't wish I could guarantee that for I can't. You know, 
I, I have people in my life, I've had people in my life that have been so bold and so confident, not necessarily wisely so, thinking or saying that, you know, God wasn't quite finished with them yet. There was more work to be done or, or they had certain goals. Whew. I look at life, really, I'm on borrowed time. Each day is a new blessing. Each day is beyond what I thought I was going to hit. I, I really mean that. And now I'm to the point where I hope to live to be 100. Doubt it. Doubt I'm not going to make it. But as my wife says, if God wants you to live to be 100, you're going to be 100. You'll be an older and crankier man. She doesn't say that. <laughs> Folks, think about what's going on. Read the news. Watch the news. Watch what's happening in the world in which God has given you to live and understand it's not just happening. It's coming to pass because God Almighty is bringing it to pass before our eyes. And while we can say it falls under the category of His glory, we get that. At the same time, don't miss the point that part of his display of glory at this point is bringing the hammer down, so to speak, on those who have rejected him. He is not going to let them get away with it. He is not going to let you get away with it either if you're rejecting him. We need to understand these things. Is Jesus worthy to the reveal them to us? He is. But it is not good news. What you see in Revelation is quite a bit of really bad news. Of really heart-wrenching news. And sometimes when I say that, I need to, to temper my thinking. Let me challenge you to temper your thinking. I related to my wife the other day something that was a good reminder to me. There was a young Scottish man by the name of Robert Murray McShane. And McShane was a godly man. He was the individual who came up with the original calendar to read through a Bible in the year, among other things. And he had a dear, dear friend by the name of Andrew Bonar. And, and he and Bonar would get together regularly on Sundays. After they would preach in their respective little churches, 
and one day they were having a conversation and it went something like this. Bonar was telling McShane that, you know, God had given him liberty to preach to his congregation about the coming judgment upon the ungodly and used it primarily as an evangelistic message. To which McShane looked over at his friend and he said, I'm encouraged that God gave you the liberty to preach such a, such a message. Brother, let me ask you this question. Did God also give you the liberty to preach it with tears? And the point that McShane was making was this. It's one thing to become righteously indignant at the lost. But understand, many of us have people that are dear, 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 dear to us. That when we lose them, we are not going to be so righteously indignant that they were God-haters. We are going to be broken-hearted because some of them were sons and daughters. Some were mothers and fathers. Some were aunts and uncles, sisters and brothers and neighbors that were dear to our hearts. Do we have the grace to tell them how urgent their situation is and to be able to do so with tears, knowing what the consequences are, knowing that if they utterly reject God, oh yeah, many of us can say, well, you know, we trust in the mercy of God and, and perhaps they believe these things at last. Well, that may soothe our heart. But I think better that we consider that we be on our knees regularly and, and praying for them with tears, knowing the consequences, and praying for the world around us with tears, knowing the consequences that if Jesus comes soon, many will be in hell forever. And there is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no one last shot at the gospel. At that point, it strikes me that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. May God give us such grace like Jesus over wept over Jerusalem. Help us to weep over the lost in our lives once we have matters settled between our own relationship between us and him. Let's pray. Father, these are hard things. And yet these are true things. And we ask for grace to not simply be true, but to have hearts that have the ability to speak such things, to preach such things with sincere tears. knowing that when a person is lost, unless they are saved, they will be lost forever. We need your help because our hearts are hard. We like justice more than we like mercy. Lord, give us grace that we might focus 
more on mercy, more on your love, more on the need for forgiveness and repentance than simply justice. Lord, we ask your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.